0: Um, well hey everybody, welcome to Life Church this morning. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, for those of you who don't know who I am, and I know there's a few online that might not, uh, my name's Matt. I'm the lead pastor here along with my wife Tanya, and we have the pleasure of pastoring Life Church along with pastors Mike and Ev. And uh, again, it's always an honor to be able to stand before you to be able to share the Word of God with you. And you guys this morning we're going to keep going in our sermon series in the book of Acts. Um, we have to dive right into it right now because I've got a lot of material to get through Don't worry, I can talk really fast Okay So I can talk fast And I, I've got, I, I really feel like God's put a great word on my heart for us this morning uh, Out of the book of Acts uh, For those of you who haven't been with us We've been in a series called We the Church And the idea is that the book of Acts really is the origin story of us It's the origin story of the church And whenever you become a part of an organization or you join in with another person, as you continue to uh, spend time with them and commit to them, their story becomes part of your story. Come on. Brian's story becomes part of our story this morning. Amen? His story, his testimony becomes part of our story this morning about the goodness of God and his healing power. Amen? And so when we read these stories in the book of Acts, they're not just historical anecdotes, okay? They're things that we can read and see here, but these are things that actually apply to us. And so what we've been doing is we been go going chapter by chapter, and in each chapter, we've been making a statement about uh, we, the church. And this morning, what I want to do, as always, just quickly review those statements. And then today, you guys, we are in Acts chapter 7. Pastor Dave was here last night, How, yes, last week, pardon me. How many people enjoyed Pastor Dave last yeah. week? Awesome. Wouldn't that awesome? Thank you, Pastor Dave. If you're watching this, um, I thought that was such an awesome word. I did tell him. I, I told, called him twice. I said, Pastor Dave, if God puts something on your heart for the church, for our church, that morning, go for it. And uh, and he did. And I was so grateful that he had the freedom and, and was able to do that. And bring us such a great word uh, and uh, on overcoming discouragement. If you didn't get a chance to check it out, you should. It is online uh, from last week, but this morning. Some of the statements we've been making, Acts chapter 1, we the church are empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill the purpose that God has given us. Acts chapter 2, we the church are initiated through repentance and water baptism into a spirit-filled life. Acts chapter 3, we the church were birthed out of miraculous signs and wonders that point to the redemptive work of Christ. Acts chapter 4, even when facing opposition, we, the church, receive boldness and enabling grace through prayer. Acts chapter 5, we, the church, are followers and representatives of a holy God and recipients of his grace. Acts chapter 6, we, the church, are called to be a proactive uh, participants in fulfilling the mission of Jesus. And now today, church, Acts chapter 7 and 8, by the way, we're getting through 2. Yes, that's right. You heard me correctly. We're going to get through 2. We, the church, were founded by followers of Jesus who, through his grace, refused to compromise on their convictions, wow. Come on. refused to compromise on their convictions. This morning, church, I'm going to be speaking to you on the subject radical faith, radical faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word that we're about to dive into, Lord God. We thank you that your word is living and active. And it is sharper than a two-edged sword. Father God, we thank you this morning that uh, you are here with us now, Lord God, even in this place, Lord Jesus, and your presence, Lord God, is what we need. And we pray this morning that as I speak these words, that they would go deep in our hearts and they would be planted deep, God, and that our lives would be changed as we understand what it is that you want to say to us today, Lord God. We pray that there would be a, a specific word for each person here this morning that not one person would leave the same, that we would all be changed, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Okay, so Acts chapter 7 and chapter 8. You're like, how are we going to do that? Here's how we're going to do that. I'm going to give you a brief summary of the story that's happening here, the narrative in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8, and then we're actually going to kind of zoom in, get our magnifying glasses out, and zoom in on one particular portion of the scripture. And we're actually going to do Acts chapter 7 today as our main focus, but I want to bring you up to speed on what's going on. So to bring you up to speed, it starts with a man named Stephen. And we heard about him two weeks back. Stephen was a deacon. His job was to organize, uh, handing out the food at the temple to the widows. See, there was a big kerfuffle that had taken place there because uh, certain widows were claiming, the Hellenistic Jews were claiming that they weren't getting the same amount of food as everybody else. And it was causing all this drama behind the scenes. And come on, church, we don't know anything about drama, do we? I mean, really, honestly. Um, So there's all this drama going on behind the scenes, all this, you know, she's getting more than me and she's not getting enough. And the apostles are pulling their hair out going, my goodness, we're wasting, you know, the, the gift that God's given us. What do we do? And they said, well, we need to appoint some people to take over this ministry for us. So they found some men who were full of faith in the Holy Ghost. I love that it says that about them. And one of these men was a man by the name of Stephen, and they pointed him out in particular as a man that was full of faith and the Holy Ghost. And so Stephen uh, went out, and he organized. He rocked this thing. He, he served tables. He, he made sure that everybody got what they needed. But at the same time, he was performing great signs and wonders in everything that he was doing. And people started to hear about it all over the place and started to, to cause this uproar and revival to take place in this area. And so there was some pushback. Because the, the 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 leaders, I, I got to speed up here. The leaders were um, the leaders were coming against him, and they and, and they started to accuse him, and and, uh, and they were feeling intimidated by him. They were they were feeling threatened, and so they they arrested him and they brought him in. This is where we're at right now. So in Acts chapter six, uh, Stephen is arrested, brought before the high council, and accused of always speaking against the law of Moses and the temple. This is a false accusation, by the way. They accused him, saying that Jesus would destroy the temple. That he said that Jesus would destroy the temple and destroy the customs that Moses had handed down. In Acts chapter 7, verses 1 uh, through 50, uh, when St- Stephen is asked that the accusations are true, he launches into a panorama, I just like that word, a panorama of the Old Testament history. Um, and so he starts to give them basically a, 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 a reference of history. He starts to just speak about the history of the Jewish people to them. And, and uh, we're going to get into that in just a second. I won't comment on that right now. Stephen ends his speech by tying in the current Jewish leadership with the leaders of the past who continually resist the Holy Spirit. Then, uh, Acts chapter 754, Stephen's defense sends the council into an uproar. But Stephen sees past their accusations into a heavenly vision, and he declares it to the council, saying that he sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father. They drag him out of the city. They stone him while he continues to pray and intercede for his executioners, and he dies as the first recorded martyr of the Christian church. Okay, that's Stephen. Okay, now we move into chapter 8. You guys still with me? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. This is like a ride at Disneyland, right? You got <laughs> to, like, strap in and get ready to go because here we go. Eight, now, now, number 8, here it goes. Next we have uh, kind of a, what that does, that persecution is it starts to push the disciples and the apostles out of the area of Jerusalem, out into where they're actually supposed to be going, which is out towards the Gentiles. And next we find this man named Philip, an apostle who is in uh, uh, with the Samaritans. And the Bible tells us that he is doing, performing amazing miracles, that there are uh, uh, deliverances that are taking place. In fact, one of the local celebrities who happens to be a sorcerer. Kind of interesting. His name is Simon, gets radically saved as well. Now, Peter and John hear about what's going on with Philip, so they come up to give him some support and help him out. And Simon offers, the, the sorcerer, offers Peter money for a supernatural power that he's seen in Philip. Peter rebukes him for having a jealous heart, and Simon repents. Okay, my favorite verse, by the way, in that particular passage is Acts chapter 8, verse 8, so where it says, So there was great joy in the city. Come on, could it be said of us that, man, because of the, the work that you're doing for the Lord, because of the presence of God that abides in your church, there is great joy in White Rock. Amen? Yes. Could, we, could it be said of us? So then Acts chapter 8, verse 26, Philip is led by the Spirit to go to the south road between Gaza and Jerusalem. He meets up with an Ethiopian eunuch and explains a passage of Scripture that is, he happens to be reading, uh, sharing Jesus with him. The eunuch believes, is baptized on the side of the road. He says, hey, listen. There's water down there. What's to stop us from being baptized? Philip's like, I don't know. Let's do it. And so they baptize him right there. And the moment—I love this part. Moment that he's baptized, he says that he disappears yeah. from right. the Ethiopian's eyes. So um, is this like you know got biblical translation? God takes him from one area and takes him to somewhere else. That's pretty cool. Um, and so what do they call that in Star Trek again? Teleportation? Beam me up? Beam me up. Yeah, yeah. That's what it is. So he, this is this is a biblical. This is this is where they got the idea. I'm sure. Um, and so exactly. Philip uh, disappears from this area. He goes 20 miles away to a town called Azotus, okay? And that is Acts 7 and 8. woo okay, Yeah, ice cream. We're done. Okay, that's it. <laughs> you, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I worked really hard on this message, okay? So we got to keep going. No, I'm kidding. No, you guys. Um, so... We're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to focus this morning on Radical Faith and again on Acts chapter 7. And what we're focusing on today specifically is Stephen's defense before the Sanhedrin and then how God interacts with him in that defense. And we're going to learn some things from his defense and from the way that he speaks that is going to, I believe, encourage you today in your walk with Jesus When we know that we, the church, were founded by people who had strong convictions and would not allow any persecution to tear away those convictions. Come on, could that be said of us today? That we know who we are in Christ, that we know who our God is, and that we stand firm upon his word. Amen? Amen. So, here we go. We're going to dive into this story of of, uh, Stephen's accusations. We're going to start actually back in Acts chapter 6. Verses 11 through 14. And this is what happens in that particular passage. So again, Stephen, a man full of faith, the Holy Ghost, performing miracles. And there's this group of religious leaders... That are threatened by him. And so they come and they decide that they're going to go after him. So they hire these men. They call up these people. They, they incent them to come up and make false accusations against Stephen. And this is what they say. They sent false accusations, false witnesses to accuse Stephen of saying that Jesus would destroy the temple and change the customs of Moses that, uh, that he had handed down. Now, since these were false witnesses, that's a good sign, by the way. <laughs> That's kids downstairs meeting with Jesus. That's good. That's good. If you hear that, don't, don't be afraid, okay? Somebody just fell under the spirit. It's okay. Yep. We're going we're to go down there. We'll go pray over them afterwards. It's all good. It's going to be good. Um, okay. So, so what is, what, how does Stephen respond to this? Since these were false witnesses, he could have gone after the validity of the witnesses, or he could have made a case that they misunderstood his arguments. But Stephen doesn't do that instead he doubles down and goes right after it who are these people that that are accusing him these these are called the sanhedrin the sanhedrin was composed of three groups of people historically first there were the rulers there was the high priests, and then second, there were elders, and men's of, uh, which were men of high uh, community standing. And third was the group uh, that was composed of teachers of the law and usually Pharisees or scribes. So this entire group of Jewish leaders is coming against Stephen, and they're sending these false accus- uh, accusers and witnesses to come and speak against him. Okay? And so what does he do? Instead of trying to you know, push pass the buck or push it aside, he goes right at it. He stays true to the convictions that God has given him. How can he but speak of what he knows to be true? Okay, so remember, there's two things that they're, they're using to come against him. Um, David Guzik says it this way. We shouldn't think Stephen, uh, Stephen, Stephen instructed the Sanhedrin on points of Jewish history that they were ignorant of. Instead, Stephen emphasized some things in Jewish history they may not have considered. That God never confined himself to one place like a temple and that the Jewish people had a habit of rejecting those that God sends to them. Okay, so there's two big ideas that we're going to come back to over and over again as Stephen stands to defend himself in the Sanhedrin. And that's this one. Number one, God is not limited by a location. God is not limited by a location. And number two, God is doing a new thing through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm a child of the 90s, so I've got to do this. God is doing a new thing in our lives, y'all. He's doing a new thing through Jesus Christ. And I could rap for you, too, but I'm not going to. DC Talk, circa 1990. If you know, you know. Okay. All right. God is doing a new thing through Jesus Christ. So these are the two things that he's trying to argue throughout his entire speech. Now, I, I didn't know that, I'm going to be honest with you, when I first read this passage, and I've read it many, many times, and it's always kind of confused me, because it kind of feels like he just goes off on this random tirade, uh, and and uh, really, it's just a, a rehearsal of, of Jewish history, and so he starts with Abraham, and then he talks about Joseph, and then he talks about Moses, and then he keeps talking about, you know, how the, you know the temple kind of moved from different areas, and it went from Joshua, and then all the way through uh, to David, and then and then Solomon, who built the temple and then it just seems like he takes a left turn at some point and just starts berating these guys and saying you stiff-necked uncircumcised hearts and you always have persecuted the the the, the prophets of the lord and you when have you not done that And he just starts going off on them and when i first read it it just kind of seemed like random like i'm like god why why did you put this here but what he does here in this argument is he doesn't go straight at it he's nuanced and he's actually very, very wise in the way that he approaches this. And again, he's trying to prove two points to them because they're, they're attacking him and accusing him of two things. Number one, they're saying, they're saying this. They're saying uh, he's saying uh, that um, uh, uh, he's saying, sorry, uh, that Jesus would destroy the temple. That's what, he, that's, that's what they're saying. They're saying he's saying that Jesus is going to destroy the temple, that we don't need the temple anymore. How dare he blaspheme the temple of the almighty God is what they're saying. This place that we hold so, so holy and so you know, sanctified and separated. How dare he go after this is what they're saying. And so, again, he's saying this. God's not limited by a location. I want to prove this to you by showing you our history. Okay? And then the second thing they're saying is they're saying that, um, that, 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 that he wants to tear down the customs that Moses has handed down. And, and he's saying, no, 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 you're not hearing me. God's doing a new thing, and he always has been doing a new thing. He's always doing a new thing. So don't hold fast to those, okay? So here's how we're going to ap- approach this today. I'm going to read the first portion of this history just so you get a sense of the rhythm and cadence with which he's speaking. And then I'm going to summarize the remaining portions of those and give you kind of the synopsis of what he's saying. Okay, you with me? Yeah. Okay, so here, here's what he does. S- Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? This was stephen's reply brothers and fathers listen to me our glorious god appeared to our ancestor abraham in mesopotamia before he settled in haran god told him leave your native land and your relatives and come into a land that i will show you so abraham left the land of the chaldeans and lived in haran until his father died then god brought him here to this land where you now live but God gave him no inheritance here, not even one square foot of land. God did promise, however, that eventually the whole land would belong to Abraham and his descendants. And come into the land that I will show you, he said. Sorry, his descendants, even though he had no children yet. God also told him that his descendants would live in a foreign land where they would be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I, uh, I will punish the nations that enslaves them, God said. And in the end, they will come out and worship me here in this place. God also gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision at that time. So when Abraham became the father of Isaac, he circumcised him on the eighth day. And the practice was continued until when Isaac became the father of Jacob. And when Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs of the Israelite nation. So he starts with Abraham. And what's his big idea? What's his main thought here? Number one, Abraham was ready to step into the new thing that God had. Remember, God is doing a new thing. God is doing a new thing. And number two, God is not limited to a place to connect with him. What did he say? He he met with him in in, in Haran, which isn't anywhere near the temple today. And then he met with him in Mesopotamia. It's not even anywhere near where the temple is today. And then he met with him here where the temple is today. God is not limited by a location. He's a living God, and he can meet you wherever you are. Come on, that's a word for somebody in here today. God is not limited by a location. God can meet you wherever you are. Man, you might be in the midst of something that is just overwhelming you. You might have so many things coming against you that are coming against you, and you just feel like you're completely overwhelmed. i was not going to share this yet, but I'm going to share it right now. So this week I had that moment. I had this moment where I was walking in my kitchen, and I just my brain was just bombarded. It just felt like there was so much that was coming at me. And I was feeling it It was just like every angle, you know, it was just like, you know, business things and then other things and then vision and all this stuff. It's just like and I just I just got completely overwhelmed. And here's what happened, church. This is amazing. As I'm overwhelmed, I don't even know how it happened. Okay, I'm not going to take any credit for this. I'm going to say, hey, uh, your pastor is so spiritual that uh, what I did in that moment is I got on my knees in the back of the house and I began to cry out to the Lord. I wish I could tell you that. But that's not what happened. I was literally walking up to my stairs when prayer just started pouring out of my mouth. And when I start to pray, I'm not going to ask, is that God? I'm going to be like, that's grace. And I'm going to be strong in the grace. So I just started praying. I couldn't stop. And every item that I was worrying about and struggling with just started popping out of my mouth towards the Lord. It just came out. And then Tanya came down, and she was feeling it too. And I said, honey, I know what we need to do. Come on, we're pastors. We should know this. And we got in the car together, and we just, we just held hands, and we just started to pray out these things that God had put in our place. Listen, he's not limited by a location. Yes. He can meet you right where you are. So, so that's his first case, Abraham. The next one is Joseph. And again, we're not going to read it. I'm going to summarize it. Many of you know the story of Joseph. He was one of uh, uh, Abraham's uh, great-grandsons. And Joseph was, uh, his brothers were jealous. He had a bunch of brothers, 12 brothers. They were jealous, 12, 11 brothers. They were jealous. They sold him to a bunch of slaves, sent him off into the land of Egypt, far away from where Jacob was, where the promised land was, where Abraham had been. And guess what? God met him there. God met him there. God met him in an Egyptian prison. God met him where he was. And he, he raised him up and gave him a position of power so that he could save his family during a time of famine. Okay, so what's the main thought here? God is not limited by a location or by circumstances. God met Joseph in a foreign land. Okay, that's the case. Remember, the accusations are, hey, you're saying that, um, <laughs> what are the accusations again? Sorry, God is not, you're saying that you could Jesus would destroy the temple. No, no, I'm not saying that. See, Jesus doesn't need the temple. He can meet you anywhere. And what is he saying? And, oh, and you're going you're gonna to change the customs of Moses. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that, that, that God is not limited by circumstances, that he can do a new thing, that he is God and he can do whatever he wants to do. So then the next thing is Moses. And we all know the story of Moses. Come on. You've seen Prince of Egypt, right? And if you haven't, you should. It's a good one. Prince of Egypt, you know, the, the, the baby that's, that's brought up from the river and it's and, and saved and taken in by the princess of Egypt, raised up as a prince of Egypt. Um, and has this position of privilege, this position of power, and, and gets this conviction in his heart that, that God wants to use this position of, of privilege and power to go out and, and save his, his, his people. So he goes out to do that, and what happens? He sees uh, them the struggling with one of, the, one of the overlords, one of the, one of the, 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 the guards, and he says, I'm going to do something about it. So he kills the guard, dumps him in the sand, hopes that nobody sees him, and it turns out everybody does see him, and he has to flee into the wilderness, Right? And then he's in the wilderness, and he marries a woman out there, a midnight woman. And he's, 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 he's a sheep herder, and he's just hanging out out there in the wilderness. And then one day, something catches his eye. He thinks he's done. He thinks his time is over, and he sees a burning bush that doesn't burn up. He says, well, that's odd. I'm going to check that out. And he walks up, and he encounters the presence of God. And, and God calls him out and says, I'm going to use you to deliver your people. And I'm going to use you to go before Pharaoh. And you're going to speak to him. And you're going to bring freedom to, to, to my people, to the Jewish people. And what is the main idea here? That God can meet people anywhere. Yeah. Come on. You see a little bit of a theme here? Yeah. 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 The burning bush. And following God's plan is also more important than holding on to privilege and comfort. Oh, that's going to burn. For the Sanhedrin. But we are the privileged few. You ought to listen to us because we know everything about God. No, no, no. He's not limited by privilege and power. It's more important than following God's plan. is more important than holding on to privilege and power. That's so, so that's what's coming here. That's what's happening here. And then finally, this is the last section of his defense. The rejection of Moses, the rejection of the prophets, and making the temple an idol. I'm not going to highlight this. I'm going to read a portion of this, however, at the very end. So you can kind of catch the cadence and rhythm of what's going to lead up to the next events. I'm almost done, guys. You with me? Yeah. So this is what it's going to look like. I'm going to give you a heads up here. We're going to read this last portion. Then I've got three observations about Stephen that are going to bless you today. And then we're going to pray for you. And we're going to have some ice cream. Okay? <laughs> you guys with me? Okay, here we go. So, Acts chapter 7, verse 48. However, the Most High does not live in temples made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord. Could you build me a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? You stubborn people. You are heathens at heart and deaf to the truth. Most of you forever resist the Holy Spirit. That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors did not persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah who you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the main thought? S- Stephen is accusing the Sanhedrin of keeping in line with their ancestors in rejecting the plan of God. So one of the things that's mentioned in this passage that we didn't read is that when Moses came down with the law, the first thing that the people did was reject him. They, they said, well, actually, before he even came down, they said, well, we don't believe that Moses is the man of God that he's called us to be. So what we're going to do is we're actually going to create our own God. And we're going to do our own thing. And we're going to go our own way. And he's making this case that this has happened over and over and over again. That these people have turned these um, religious items into idols and they've begun to worship the items rather than the God that they represent. Yeah. Right. So that's what he's going after here. And he says this, Stephen is accusing the center You're keeping in line with their ancestors rejecting the plan of God, idolizing the temple, and holding the tradition, comfort, and privilege over the move of God. Remember what he's communicating here. He's communicating that God is not limited by location and that God is doing a new thing through Jesus Christ. He's not limited by location. He's doing a new thing through Jesus Christ. We, the church, were founded by followers of Jesus who experienced his presence and through his grace refused to compromise on their convictions. Again, Stephen could have you know, maybe sideswipe this. He could have maybe spoken about, I don't think you understood me properly. And he could have changed the narrative. But he held true to the conviction that God had given him and put in his heart. And I was gonna finish the story because we're gonna come back around to it in just a moment. So what happens after this? Stephen is, you know, obviously very, very direct, very clear. And the Bible says this, and I'm gonna read it from the New King James Version. The Bible says, when they heard these things, They were cut to the heart. In other words, the Holy Spirit convicted them and they got it. Oh, man, we have been limiting the presence of God to a location. We have not been honoring it. And we're not even really honoring the the, the law of Moses. We're not even really doing it. We're not even really going after the things of God. And we're limiting God in what he's doing but it incenses them. And this part always kind of grabs me because it says that they lose, it doesn't say this, but this is, this is modern vernacular. They lose their absolute minds. Yeah. <laughs> like they don't know how to handle this. So it says that they're gnashing their teeth. <laughs> they're shaking. Like We often read this, we're like, oh, that's just how they expressed anger in those days. I don't know if that's how they express anger in their those days, but it's ridiculous. <laughs> like, have you seen an adult gnashing their teeth at somebody else? I, I certainly have never seen that. That's how incensed and angry these are guys are. Have I mean, you seen some guy in the court be like,
1: ah!
0: and some other guy being like, ah! 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 like they're just like losing it. They don't know how to handle this. And so Steven's just he's facing this. And this is what I love about Steven. In that moment the Bible says that he being full of the holy spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he said look I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God God is not limited by a location or by a scenario wow and in that moment he reveals himself to Stephen the heavens open up by his grace and Stephen sees past these people that are losing their minds at him. All these things are coming against him, demanding his attention. And he instead has his focus set entirely on Jesus. Word. Entirely on him. So, what are some observations that we can learn from Stephen that we can apply to our lives? Number one, Stephen was thoroughly convinced of the truth. This is the first thing. He was thoroughly convinced of the truth. He was convinced of it logically. He was convinced of it academically. Now, he's going up against the greatest minds of the Jewish world in this, in this place. Yeah. When he's standing there defending himself, this isn't just a bunch of, like, you know, peasants that don't know. These are, these are the teachers. These are the holders. These are the professors. These are the ones that you do not speak against. But he is so firm in his conviction that... And he knows that he's got a case, that he, he, he holds it logically, he, he holds to it academically, and also experientially. And here's what we can learn from this church. The truth of the gospel is robust and unshakable, and it will stand in the face of critique. Yeah. So good. I want you to know that, church. I want you to know that today, that what we do here in church on Sunday morning is not just some old tradition that we continue Okay, it's not just some feel-good thing. This isn't like something we fit in with our with our daily life. We got our workout here. We got church here. We got this. No, no, this is this is robust. Yeah. It holds yeah. against any critique that will come against it, and that is why, as a, as Life Church, one of our main values, the first value that we have is we value the Word of God, yes. and we say this: we build His life upon, we build our lives upon His Word. We build our lives upon His Word. So, with that in mind, Church, I want to challenge you again. Let's be people of the word. Come on. Let's be people of the word. Let's 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 dive into this. Let's dig into this. It will stand. This is a firm foundation. This is a rock that you can rely on and you can stand on. You can build your life on the word. Remember the builders who built their life on the sand and then the other builders who built their life on the rock. The sand is the fragments of the truth that you get from the world. The sand, the rock is the firm foundation of the word of God. It's the whole truth of his word. You can build your life on his word. And Stephen knew that. And he, he, he stood firm in his conviction because he knew that he would, he would stand, that he would not fall. Let's be like the Bereans. In Acts chapter 17, 11, it says, And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. They listened eagerly to Paul's message, but they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas, what they were teaching, was the truth. Yeah. I'm just going to say this to you right now. Don't believe a word I say. Search it out for yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Find it in the Word of God. It will stand. It will stand. Okay. Uh, Luke chapter 21, verse 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Okay, number two. Stephen believed in and experienced a living God. Okay? He accused the Sanhedrin of continually falling into form and idol worship and ignoring the living God. Now, what about us? This is a warning to us that it's very easy to drift into this trap of turning our Christianity into a form or a formula. Okay, so if I get up at 830 on Monday morning and I read four chapters and then check and then I uh, say a nice prayer, check. And, uh, and then that's my day. That's my Christian part of my day. And then I can move on to my next part of my day. It, it just it just happens, you guys. We drift into it. If you don't believe me, just look at what it takes to build a strong marriage. Yeah. So I, I, I check this out, right? Because um, um, if you become clas- complacent in any relationship, it will deteriorate into form and formula. Uh, in a marriage, you need to intentionally keep the spark alive. So, so I Googled... How do you keep the spark alive? And then I regretted it. (laughs) Yeah. But what I found is this. I found that there was some, like, um, most of them are women's articles. I don't know why that is in, like, women's magazines. But I, I, I found a bunch of, like, checklists of things that you need to do to keep the spark alive. And there's lots of great ideas that are thrown out there. You know, like, have an intentional conversation once a day about a subject that's important to you. Ask your wife eyeball to eyeball how she's doing and, she, you know, things like that. And, and or, or, or date day. Have a date day once a, once a week or once a month. Or, you know, make sure you schedule your time together. But there's a theme that kind of came out of all of this and, and the thing that all the tips for couples have in common is that they all involve intentional pursuit right. That's good. Yes. Mm-hmm. they all involve intentional pursuit so here, here's here's my statement christianity is not merely the things that we do but the one we pursue yes. good word. it's not the things that we do it's the one we pursue do you know him Are you seeking him? See, what happened to the Sanhedrin, these leaders, is they became so enamored with their position, their privilege, and the location that they lost sight of the God they were serving. And that can easily happen to every one of us. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Draw near to God. I love that promise because he will draw near to you. What is that? That's intentional pursuit. That's choosing to go after the things of God. Psalm 27 verse 8 said, seek my face. When you said seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. And today, church, I hear the, the cry of the Lord call, calling out to you saying, would you seek my face? Would you seek my face? I love you. I'm for you. I have a plan for you. I want to see you grow. I want to see you uh, thrive in your life. Would you seek my face? And what he's looking for is a people that will say, your face we will seek. Amen? Yes. Amen? Amen. That's number two. Amen. And here's number three. Stephen argued that, with God, that God was not limited by a place and that he could meet whomever he wanted to whenever he wanted to. Here's my biggest statement on this one. God's imminent presence is not limited by anything. And this is where I was going to tell that story that I told earlier. And that's why I was going to tell that story right now. But I've got a lot of scriptures for you. It's not limited by anything. Romans 8, 38 says, And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. It, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing at all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Matthew 28, 20 says, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always even to the ends of the age. Psalm 46, verse 1. Our, our God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. He's not limited by a location. He's not limited by any circumstance that you're facing. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Acts uh, 7, 48 And this is Stephen saying, however, the Most High doesn't live in a temple made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? He's everywhere. He's all around us. He's with you in your storm. He's with you on the good days. And he's with you in the bad days. He is here. So now, how how do we conclude this today? And I'm going to conclude it by telling you what happened with Stephen, who just finished making such an eloquent case for the fact that our God is always with us and that Jesus is doing a new thing. But Stephen, full of the Holy Ghost, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they stoned him, what did Stephen do? He prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Jesus is not limited, and he can do a new thing even when what you're facing is genuinely overwhelming. He can meet you right where you are. All of us, many of us, are never going to face something this intense. But we will face life. We will face challenges. We will face circumstances and we will face feelings. We will face sickness. We will face many different things in this world. And the Bible says in this world, you will have trials and tribulation, but have faith. Why? Because he has overcome the world. Come on, will we be be a people that draw near to him? Will we be a people that know him, that are firm in our convictions, that understand who our God is so that we too can stand, so that we too can stand? Let's bow our heads for a moment.